lets me do this. I'm so excited. I get to continue in a series. And today's segment is number seven, and the title is Believing is Seeing. I want to share with you some verses from the book of 2 Kings. That's in the Old Testament if you're following along. 2 Kings. Go to Exodus and take a right. There's, uh, we're in the histories of of Israel. We're in the histories of what happened. This is after the Exodus. So we've gotten everybody out of Egypt. We have the Ten Commandments. Israel has become a nation, and it's really them trying to figure out what to do next. And, and so that's where we find ourselves. There were kings in that time, and there were also prophets. We just talked about Prophet Jim Riley. Uh, this passage of scripture really talks about what prophets do and what they did back in the Old Testament. So we're going to see some of that in 2 Kings 6, beginning with verse 8. says this, When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, the prophet, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. Can you imagine that? You're a general. You got your stuff set. You think your plans are secret. You get to where you're going, and the enemy is already there prepared for you. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, Even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. Stop for a second and picture that scene. It's a regular day at the house of the prophet. The servant gets up to do whatever servants do early in the morning. I don't get up early in the morning, so I don't know. But he opens the door, and all he sees is the army of Aram. You're having a bad day. You're having a very bad day. And he says, what do we do now? Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Can you imagine that? To just rub your eyes a minute, and there they are. Angels, horses, chariots of fire. Why is this preparing for eternity stuff so hard? Why does it seem so difficult? It's because we can't see it. We get so caught up in the things we can see. We get so caught up in the things that, that have to be done, quote, unquote. You know, I love Jesus, but Santee Cooper wants money for those lights to come on. So we have to go to work, and we have to do those things, and we worry about the stuff that we can see and not just the things that really matter. 
Preparing for eternity is difficult because it's out there. It's not right here or so we think. Did you see the movie The Matrix? I love the movie The Matrix. It is a metaphor for the Christian life. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. That's okay. I'm used to that. It really is a metaphor for the Christian life. Think about this. Neo and Morpheus are having a conversation. And Morpheus offers Neo one of two pills. And he said, you take this one and you go back to bed. Nothing happens. You just live your life. Everything's good. But if you take this one, you're going to see what you have never seen before. You're going to see what's really going on around you. In a real way, that's what happens when we become a Christian. In a real way, that's what our opportunity is when we pray. When we say to God, I really want to see things the way you're seeing them. There's probably not going to be a guy come to you in the middle of the night with two different pills. That's a whole other problem. But if you can open your eyes spiritually and see the way God sees, if you can see what's going on, what's really going on around you, it's a whole different world. We know this intuitively. I found this quote, and I don't know where it came from. I looked for a source. But it says this, Why do we close our eyes when we pray, cry, kiss, or dream? Because the most beautiful things in life are not seen, but felt only by the heart. If I gave you five minutes and said to you, I need you to write down how you know your children love you. Could you do it? There'd be no way. There's no way to limit things like that. If I gave you five minutes and said, tell me what the beach means to you, the things we love the most are the things we can't understand, are the things we can't talk about. We can see our children, we can see the beach, but we can't explain them. Guess what? Eternity is like that. Every now and again, we get glimpses of it. Every now and again, we understand that there's more going on. Have you ever been in the room when a child was born? On the other end of the spectrum, have you ever been in a room when someone went on to be with Jesus? There's a moment there that's so heavy with eternity. You can't see it, but it's there, and we know it. And those are the times when we realize, yes, there's more going on here than I understand. I can't see it always, but I know that it's there. Those are those things we hold deeply in our heart. The problem is there's an enemy that wants to steal them. We sang it in two songs this morning about somebody stealing our joy. There's an enemy who wants to steal that away from us. It's not just that you don't know how to do it. It's that there's a force at work around you. And he's not after your money. And he's not after your car. And he's not after whether you go to church or not. He is after your heart. He is after your heart. Because that's where everything happens. If you've been around me more than 15 minutes, you know that my favorite writer outside of the Bible writers is a guy named John Eldridge. And he wrote a book called Waking the Dead. This is a quote from that book. The enemy's plan from the beginning was to assault the heart. Make them so busy they ignore the heart. Wound them so deeply they don't want a heart. Twist their theology so they despise the heart. Take away their courage. Destroy their creativity. Make intimacy with God impossible for them. Sound like your last week? 
Guess what, people? Preparing for eternity is not all about what we see. It's about what's going on inside us. It's about what's going on inside our family. It's about what's going on inside our world that we don't get to lay eyes on, but we understand intuitively. We don't have to look far to find this. Just yesterday in Charlottesville, Virginia, a group of people showed up who hate other people. There's no other way to say it. They hate other people. You can't fight that with laws because it's in their heart. You can't fight that with demonstrations even. There were a group of clergy people that were out doing just a silent protest, just loving up on the people around them, standing in support with the people who were being protested against, not the, the bad guys. They were standing with the good guys. You cannot change those things without changing the heart. And you can't see it, so it makes it difficult. And yes, we should make laws. And yes, we should have protection for people. But the issue is what's going on with the enemy of our soul. The issue is what's going on inside that we don't have eyes to see. And the Bible calls that faith. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 1, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot See, the idea of faith is that it is invisible. You see the effect of it, but you don't see faith itself. There's not a little dial in your car that says, okay, your faith is running low. You're going to have to get to prayer. I really wish there were. Because when there's a gas light and I know that I need some gas, I'm going to go get some. I really wish we had this dial, maybe right in the middle of our forehead. So we get up in the morning, we're washing our face and we're going, oh man. I really need to spend some Jesus time. We have to train our heart. We have to train our eyes. We have to train our mind and our spirit to see that. Because you can't just know it. You can know every fact about Bible from Genesis to maps. You can have it all memorized. And it means absolutely nothing if it does not speak to your heart. Let me give you a different example. We can know all the facts about the Civil War. We can know all the facts about Pearl Harbor. We can know all the facts about 9-11. But that doesn't even begin to give us an understanding of what people went through in those situations. That doesn't even begin to give us an understanding of what that must have been like on those days when it was really happening. You can know all the facts about Jesus. But until you know Jesus, you don't have an understanding of what's going on in your life. And we miss it because we can't see it. Listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians. It's all over the Bible, guys. I'm not making it up. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't get a grasp on eternity because we haven't seen it yet. But that doesn't make it less real. That doesn't make it less necessary. That makes it more important. Listen to this one in Ephesians. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, I love that phrase, the eyes of your heart 
You may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? We only get to see eternity on this side with our heart. When we get there, we will see it with our eyes. I believe heaven is a real place. I believe heaven is just as real, maybe more real, than this building that we're sitting in. But we can't see it on this side. We have to see it with the eyes of our heart. Just like we see the most important things in our lives. Just like we understand how much it is important for our children to to know that we love them. That's how important it is for us to know that God loves us. Another verse in 2 Corinthians, really simple. We walk by faith, not by sight. We get caught up in this because we don't see it. Are you getting me? I'm trying to sound like a broken record here. I'm doing it on purpose because we have to understand that we cannot just stop and judge our life and judge our our circumstances and judge how much God loves us by what we can see. It will get us in trouble every time. There's a phenomenon among pilots called spatial disorientation. Try to say that three times fast. Spatial disorientation. And here's what happens. A young pilot, an inexperienced pilot rather, will get into the cockpit and will be flying the plane and you, he will or she will not understand that the instruments can be trusted. And he'll fly into some clouds and he can't see what's going on and he'll begin to feel as though the plane is tilted, it's out of kilter, it's twisted. He'll begin to feel as though there's something wrong and he will not trust the instruments that say he's right with the horizon and everything's good and he will adjust the instruments. And then a little bit at a time, he will adjust those instruments until he actually comes out of the clouds flying upside down. We have to trust our instruments. We have to trust the Holy Spirit in us or we will come out of the clouds upside down. We will not understand what's going on around us. We will be so disoriented that we don't even actually understand which way is up. When we prepare for eternity, we can't do it with our eyes. We have to do it with our heart. We have to do it with our spirit. We have to stay. We have to stay. We have to stay close to Christ. We have to trust our instrument. One of the most important persons in the New Testament, aside from Jesus, of course, is Paul. Paul, who used to be Saul, who persecuted Christians, who was killing Christians, who had gotten papers from the high priest to give him access to people who were going to be his spies so that when he found these pockets of people who still believed in Jesus, he had permission to kill them. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and his whole life changed. You know anything about his life? He was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, he was stoned, he was run out of town, and all of this after he became a Christian. That's the good stuff. (laughs) Doesn't it feel like that sometimes, though? Finally, we find Paul on trial for his life. He's in Rome. He's scheduled to go before the governor. 
He's writing with every ounce he has. He wrote like he was running out of time. And he writes these words. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, the things we can see, are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Listen to this verse. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever.